The central question, I think, in this week's, particularly the Gospel reading, is who are God's chosen people? So who are God's chosen people? Who? How would you describe them? What do you have to do to become one of God's chosen people? Turn around, talk to your neighbour for 30 seconds. seconds. What do you reckon? Who are God's chosen people? His followers? Okay. Who else? Anyone else? Everybody. Some votes for everybody? All of us? Alright. All of us, whether we like it or not. I think we changed that slightly, but that sounds reasonably good. Well, the Bible is full of different groups who thought that they were God's chosen people. And the Gospels are full of them as well. So, we have the Sadducees, and this is very simplistic, so please, those of you with theological backgrounds, don't critique me afterwards. But there are the Sadducees, for example, who would have said that God's chosen people were the Jews, the Hebrew people, and in particular, those who loved God by performing the temple rituals. And if you did that, then you were definitely one of God's chosen people. And then we have another group who we meet this morning, and quite often through the Gospels, the Pharisees. Now we often clump those two groups together, but they were actually not in agreement about many things. The Pharisees were really a reform movement within Judaism. And they, like the Sadducees, would have said... Well, yes, God's chosen people are the Jews, but in particular, those who love God by obeying the Mosaic law. So that was much more far-reaching than just observing the temple rituals. This was about all of life. So there was the Mosaic law, and then there were all the laws that were put around that to make sure that you could never break the Mosaic law. And since then, there have been another set of laws that have been put around that to make sure that there's no possibility of ever breaking the Mosaic law and meeting all the new situations. Now, the problem is when you are like the Sadducees or the Pharisees, both of those groups basically said God's chosen people are people like us. We are God's chosen people. And so, if you are like us, then you too will be one of God's chosen people. And that then goes on to describe how you become one of God's chosen people, and it comes with it a certainty that because you are God's chosen people, that God will reward you and bless you and honour you and will protect you. Now we have that attitude loud and clear in this morning's psalm. That is all about a people, a group of people who said we are God's chosen people and this is what God will do for us. And the flip side of that becomes those who are not like us are not God's chosen people. 
And because they are not God's chosen people, then God will not honour, bless, reward or protect them. And in fact, we can push that a little bit further and to say God will punish them. Now, history is full of people who have said that they are God's chosen people and who have had this attitude. And it would be lovely if I could say, but us Christians, we never had that attitude. But actually, church history is full of Christians saying, we are God's chosen people and everyone who is not like us is not one of God's chosen people. And we've even said that about our fellow Christians. History is full of us being violent against those who we decided were not God's chosen people and needed to be shown the error of their ways. Well, then along comes Jesus. Well, that's just before I go to there. So that is what's happening with the Pharisee. He is there with an absolute certainty that he is one of God's chosen people. And as one of God's chosen people, he is being blessed and honoured and rewarded that God will protect him. And so he rightly thanks God for that. He says, thank you, God, that I am one of your people and that you do bless me. So that's okay. But then he goes on. And I thank you that I, I am not like all those other people, those scoundrels. And then his prayer turns from prayer to peak. He looks over his glasses at that scumbag tax collector over there and he says, Ah, especially thank you that I am not like that tax collector. Well, then we have Jesus, who, like the Pharisees, was also leading a reform movement. But there were some big differences between Jesus' reform movement and the Pharisees' reform movement. So, who do you think Jesus said were God's chosen people? And how, from what you've understood from the Gospels, how do you become one of these chosen people? Any ideas? Pharisees, Jews, became one of these by observing the Mosaic Law. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all who are heavy laden. Yep. Anything else? Love one another. Love one another. All right. Actually, I think what Jesus said was, the way you love God is by loving your neighbour. Now, that is the Mosaic Law, but actually... His critique of the Pharisees, well, they were so tied up with obeying the Mosaic Law, they had forgotten what the point of the Mosaic Law was. The point was to help us love our neighbour as ourself. By loving our neighbour, we love God. Now, the Pharisees had defined, let's face it, just about everyone in history, defined neighbour as a very small group of people. You loved your neighbour and your neighbour was people like you. And Jesus kept telling stories where neighbours weren't people like them at all. He used all sorts of horrible people as neighbours, like, well, Pharisees, uh, by Samaritans. Who in their right mind, apart from a Samaritan, would ever think of a Samaritan as their neighbour? No one in their right mind. 
And then there's a whole lot of people who didn't ever conceive of themselves as God's chosen people. They knew they were well outside of that definition, so they just made the best of it. They were people like tax collectors, for example. They didn't have a hope of ever being amongst God's chosen people. They had nothing going for them. For a start, they were collaborators. They collaborated with the invading forces. And they collected taxes for them so that the invading forces had the money they needed so they could keep being invading forces. And not only that, but they made their income by overcharging and keeping the rest. So they were keeping people, some people, in poverty while enriching themselves while they gave most of their money to the hated Romans. There wasn't a single person who would have ever thought that tax collectors were God's chosen people. And there were lots of people like that who Jesus spent a lot of time with who never would have thought of themselves as God's chosen people. They were well outside the boundaries. So they just kind of got on with life. But in this story, well in this story, the tax collector is the hero. So it's kind of like telling stories using Samaritans as the heroes. Jesus keeps using the wrong people as heroes. Keeps doing it all the time. Somebody should have sat him down and given him a little storytelling lesson about who you should use as your hero. And using Samaritans and tax collectors was not what you should do. So here he is. This tax collector is the hero. And he says... Have mercy on me, God, for I am that sinner. Now, we translate that as a sinner, but it's actually a definite article in the Greek. The sinner. And there's a strong hint that actually he can hear what the Pharisee is saying. He can hear that the Pharisee is saying, I give thanks that I'm not like that scumbag tax tax collector over there. And the tax collector is saying, he's right. I am a scumbag tax collector, and I need your mercy. Now, we usually read this as a prayer of confession, but it's not really. He's not actually confessing anything. He hasn't listed all the things that make him a sinner. He's just said, at the heart of the matter, I am a sinner. You are God all-merciful, and I am am a sinner. That's just how it is. I wonder where we are in that story. Do we stand with the Pharisee? Kind of a little bit pleased that we're one of God's chosen people? Or are we willing to stand with the tax collector? Our reading from Joel this morning comes, at a, it's set in a time at the end, uh, well it's after the exile, and it's after the ex, some of the exiles have returned back to Jerusalem. So it's at the end of a time, well it's probably not even the end of a time actually, they're still in the midst of a time of incredible hardship. Hardship of suffering the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The hardship of living, not that it was that hard actually for many of them, in living in Babylon and 
uh, serving a foreign king, the hardship of returning home of having to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, rebuild their lives as a nation. That was incredibly hard work. And throughout it all, the only thing that kept them going really was an understanding that they were God's chosen people and in the end it would work out well because God would reward them and bless them and honour them. And Joel speaks to that hope and he offers that hope that they would be rewarded. But in the midst of it, we have this amazing passage that we usually only hear at Pentecost. So now I have to find my notes. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female slaves. Now we tend to think of prophecy as a gift of foretelling, of looking to the distant future and being able to say what is, what is going to happen in that future. But actually, in the Old Testament, in the First Testament, prophecy wasn't about the distant future. It was about the here and now. And it was a gift that allowed those who had that gift to see God's presence in the here and now and to see the world as God saw it. To see all people as God saw them. And to see that and to speak that out. And that was reserved for a very few people. But Joel says, this gift, which is reserved for a very few people, will be given to males and females, to young and old to free and to slave, to everybody. Now that should ring some bells with somebody else who said something very similar in what we call the New Testament. That's what Paul says in the Galatians, his letter to the Galatians. That this gift would be given to young and old, male and female, slave and free. It's an astounding, astounding Offer by God that all people will be able to see the world through God's eyes. Last week we had a reading which uh, is actually the reading in your pew sheet, so I read half of it at 8 o'clock before I realised I was reading the wrong gospel reading. I had a feeling of deja vu and stopped and read the proper one where we are asked to pray unceasingly for justice for God's chosen people. Now, we often think of prayer as something that we do where we tell God what needs to happen. Dear God, these are all the people in trouble, including myself. This is what needs to happen. Please fix it. At the heart of it. That's what most of us do. I wonder... If what Jesus is saying is, if we pray unceasingly for God's chosen people, which I'm suggesting, and some of you suggested, is all people, and for justice for those people, that we will begin to see the world through God's eyes. 
As we notice people who need our prayer, we begin to see the world through God's eyes. This isn't about us telling God what God needs to know. God already knows it. That's part of the job of being God. You already know this stuff. Who needs to know it? We do. We're the ones who aren't so good at seeing what's going on around us. We're the ones who are not so good at seeing the world through God's eyes. So if we spend that time praying unceasingly for justice for God's people, and if we take a very broad understanding of who God's chosen people are, then we will learn to see those people through God's eyes. We will learn to see them as our neighbour. And we will learn to love them as ourselves. And in doing so, learn that that is the way we love God. The trouble is that we keep forgetting to do that, don't we? We keep forgetting to look for neighbours. And we keep forgetting to pray for them. And we keep building fences and saying, we're on the inside and they're on the outside. And we make up little rules that say we are God's chosen people and they're not. So I suggest that this morning, this reading, coupled with last week's reading, invites us to pray unceasingly for God's chosen people. To have a very big, big view of who God's chosen people are. And to know that as we pray for them we need to become much more like the tax collector. And we need to learn to see all people as God's chosen people, whether they like it or not, as Carol said. So, in a moment, we are going to pray for all of God's chosen people, and we're going to pray for justice for those people. But I invite you to keep praying every day so that we might all learn God's love and compassion for all people, that all people might know that they are God's chosen people.